Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 46 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air on this Friday, April 12th, 2019. It is the Friday in the fifth week of Lent. Holy Week is almost upon us. Coming to you from sunny, kind of cool, but mostly getting warmer here in Wainwright, Alberta, Canada. Uh, coming to you maybe for the last time in Wainwright, we'll see. Um, yeah, and uh, going to continuing our Lenten series on the uh, cardinal virtues in the original trilogy, when Empire Strikes Back, but come on. Let's uh, hear what we're all here for first. We have a trailer, and I'm excited. Star Wars Celebration in Chicago. Uh, you're basically getting the instant reaction because we just watched the, the panel on uh, here in CouchCon 2019. People are calling the YouTube streaming. And, of course, there's the Episode 9 panel that kicked off Celebration. And thanks to Lucasfilm and everybody involved for doing the right thing and broadcasting it out to the world and the trailer, too. We can we kind of expected it, but even then, as, as I knew, the, the hour had was approacheth the hour approacheth i uh starting to get excited my heart started to get pounding and then we get it and it, it's ray is, is panting and she's about to stare down what's likely kylo ren in his tie silencer it doesn't give us everything that's that's what's very nice about it's a, it is a proper teaser in that we really don't know still know what the story is about we know what the feel is about. We know that they are confronting uh, the legacy of the Jedi. Luke, Luke's Force Ghost voice mentioned. We don't see Luke, but we hear him. Confronting the legacy of the Empire. <laughs> and with that amazing shot of the ruins of the Death Star. I'm guessing that that could either be Yavin or Endor. But not necessarily. We don't quite know. Uh, we don't know which Death Star it is, but an amazing shot of the Hulk of the dish and some of the the pieces, and of course the cackle at the end with with Palpatine. If you haven't seen the trailer, I kind of spoiled it a little bit for you, but it's a, it's a teaser, so okay. If you have, uh, definitely let me know what you think. Um, I I was blown away by it. You know, I was I was. Like I've said before, I'm going into this with some a bit of a low bar in terms of its prequelist content. It's nice to see that the saber's there. Palpatine, he he's he is a through line, very much so, and throughout the saga. And they say that the saga has an end. And ah, uh, I actually I I got teary a little bit, sad that the saga has every side or every generation has a legend. The saga ends, and that is a wonderful callback to episode one. Every saga has a beginning, and now the saga has an ending. We, we don't know what that ending is. This It was a little bit of a, the whole panel was like, they can't really tell us anything, but they kept us entertained anyway. Stephen Colbert, that was a nice surprise, um, and, and just going into the relational dynamics, and it is going to be... From both the, we can tell, especially with the panel, the trailer does hint at this a little bit. It's going to be a family story of this new family, of this of, uh, this new family we've met in the Resistance over the last few years. 
the, with episode seven and episode eight, they the panel made it clear that the, this is a, a ensemble adventure and that the relational dynamics among them, uh, the love they all have for each other, whatever whatever that means. I'm sure the shippers are going nuts, and they should, because you know they they didn't deny anything there, but. Um, yeah, the the teaser, yeah, again, it really doesn't, it really gives this feel of that this is something momentous, that something that, you know, they're going to, again, the, the lightsaber is still intact, that Ray carries these thousand generations. Kathleen Kennedy mentioned, or it was Kathleen or, or JJ mentioned, uh, what inspired George Lucas is present in this film and and that that encourages me that at least the overall scope uh, of the saga is going to be taken into account and i'm no more so i think than the title <laughs> um rise of skywalker we don't know which skywalker do we do we mean anakin do we mean luke do we mean kylo ren do we mean ray do we mean who knows <laughs> Um, it, it it's actually perfect setting off speculation. I mean, the, we're we're already off to the races here <laughs> with all that. So uh, that's my my instant trailer reaction. Hard to tell again because it doesn't give us much in terms of plot. Are they back on Tatooine? It feels like they're back on Jakku. Uh, at least with Ray and that opening shot. Ray staring down what we believe is Kylo Ren in the silencer. We just have the gloves. And it's a new silencer. It looks, it's a little more compact. It's all smaller. Looks better in atmosphere. And has red markings. Um, I mean, he's now the Supreme Leader. So maybe that's also a bit of a change, a reason for a change there. We do have a shot in the panel. They give us a shot of him in a cockpit. So, possibly, uh, possibly that is the same thing we again we we don't know for sure and so i'm just being very careful <laughs> not to speculate there but um that scene does look like it's on jakku and it feels like just because she's back to wearing this interesting combination of the wrap that mrs ray back that wrap that she wore in episode seven with a bit of a more uh more stylish coat thing or color in episode eight um back to the three buns which uh there's a bit of a, a funny thing i think it is intentional though right how padme has the big headdress that's the one bun and then lay of course with the two buns for the second sac second trilogy now ready for the three buns with the third trilogy um <laughs> so she's back to that and and you know i i, I do hope they make good on what happened with episode eight i mean yeah they, they, episode eight did bring them all together finally uh they, it brought kelly murray tran into the fold and jj really acknowledged that didn't really acknowledge anything else about episode eight so again that whole debate about whether or not jj was disappointed with the direction that ryan johnson went uh who knows let me just bring that up kicking up some dust um Forgot to mention, I'm joined as always by R2D2. Sorry, I forgot to mention you. And I got myself some water. Another thing quickly to mention is 
I did finish Queen's Shadow a few weeks, a week or so. I don't know when did I finish it. Before I was able to record another podcast here, um, and it, it, my concerns were unwarranted, and it was a good explanation by I think Joseph Scrimshaw mentioned the big thing Padme has to do. It isn't an action sequence, and, and both him and Napsuck on Force Center. And that's the thing I noticed is it isn't this big thing she's supposed to do that's all building up to that we're used to. The big thing she's supposed to do is make her mark as a senator in the Senate. Um, and and the, this, the big first push is this omnibus bill, I won't spoil things, but it, the le- legislation... Um, that yeah and building coalitions and uh yeah the the way she wants to be a a leader and a voice for unity and calm and compassion in the senate and how she and and not just a voice but actually taking action uh, for those ends and so to see that unfold and the way it unfolds i won't say it's entirely realistic i think some things like that uh, need to go through countless committees and whatnot, but there are reasons for that to be mitig- that concern to be mitigated too. Definitely worthwhile reading, uh, especially if you if you I mean if you love Padman and you haven't read the, <laughs> the book yet, go for it, please. You need to. Um, but just just generally, if you if you love the prequels, if you're of Leia and Ahsoka and and you know, the the full color of female characters in Star Wars, and just characters in Star Wars generally, younger characters, I should say. Um, I mean, and, and the Handmaid and Sabe, Kira Knightley's character, is definitely almost a second protagonist, I'd say. Uh, no, not almost. She is a second protagonist in this book. And I was, I was surprised. I mean, Queen's Shadow, I could get that from the title, but she's very much the... Uh, if Padme is the politician senator, then Sabe is still the woman of action that does need to take on the big action sequences. I know that Padme can't, but the point being is that these are two parts, there's multiple parts of the Amidala character that encompasses more than one person. Yes, legally practically legally the office is the office of queen of naboo was vested in padme nabiri who takes the original name Amidala. legally the office of senator for the uh chamal sector is vested in padme Amidala and padme nabiri Amidala. this one person but i mean the decoy maneuver <laughs> and just i mean the way all offices work is that there's always it's always a team you ask any you you ask any ceo or any head of a a corporation or organization i mean even even just the the office of well the reason they call it the white house is it's all these these people under the president's uh, authority for better for worse Ask any bishop. I mean, that's the thing about in the church. We have 
the spiritual authority is vested in this one person, but it's never exercised by this one person alone. It's always, there's always the secretary and the support staff. And the, in Anglicans, we have an archdeacon who is like an assisting, not quite a bishop, but very much on the administrative organizational side of things, the church law side of things, uh, very much an arm, an extension of the bishop's office. And, and I think that'd be a fair way of describing the work of an archdeacon, um, for example. So, yeah, and we see that in this novel. And, and E.K. Johnston makes it very clear and accessible what's happening, things that uh, she knows are going to pay off later, she sets up earlier. Um, she doesn't necessarily tell things in strictly linear format, um, especially the, the epilogue. I would say it's, I mean, it's linear, but uh, it was surprising where they where they go with the epilogue, actually. I was quite surprised with that. So definitely recommend reading. Um, looking forward to Master and Apprentice coming up. Uh, I'm going to, I won't be getting it until I, it won't be coming into uh, parents place in Toronto until and so I will be will it will be coming in there so I will be there for a few weeks and reading it on a vacation post Easter vacation which I'm looking forward to so that's been the news catch up so you are too So last night I did end up watching, kind of independent of all the celebration stuff, I did end up watching Empire Strikes Back and uh, a few first thoughts. It's, it, I mean, by standards of objective filmmaking, storytelling, yes, I love episode three, but episode five is, objectively speaking, a perfect film. Um, every, all the performances, all the, the pacing, <laughs> the... Uh, the way the interspersing between the different storylines, um, the way it comes to this interesting head in the midpoint with the two scenes about the son of Skywalker, uh, and, and you know, the, the Vader with Palpatine, and then Luke finding out that Yoda is Yoda because uh, somehow Yoda know this, this weird green creature knows who his father is. Um, and then, of course, the payoff at the end with the greatest twist and the greatest climax in, in yeah, it's, it's the greatest twist in cinematic history, the greatest climax in cinematic history. Um, although, you know, the episode three, third act is, is up there. I think people generally agree the episode three, third act is up there, too. Also, of course, dealing with Skywalker and the town of Skywalker. So, talking about Anakin Skywalker, specifically. Rise of Skywalker, who knows what that's about. But um, Empire Strikes Back, I, I don't know how many countless times I've seen this film. I'm Your Father gets me every time. It's as if I'm seeing it for the first time. I'm just completely like goosebumps every single time. <laughs> and And that's the power of that film. That's the power of its place in the saga. Its place in our culture is uh, in our popular imagination of 
fathers and sons and even the story of the cave right we, we realize with uh the, the scene with the cave with episode eight with ray's cave is definitely a reflection of that in that with ray the identity is she has to actually find it in, before her and that's the hardest thing for her this is ryan johnson great analysis of the saga as a whole for luke the hardest thing is to recognize that this evil monster is actually part of him part of his bloodline um, and um, it's interesting just how quickly luke is able to accept it and sense like his only word are ben why didn't you tell me not i mean yeah he says no that's impossible but when he's recovering it isn't he isn't fighting against it really and of course in return of the jedi six months later you see he's fully accepted it so I accepted it and and set on a path of trying to turn Vader and re return Anakin, have him rise. Again, I'm, I'm this title for Episode Nine. It's <laughs> getting in my brain. Well, and that's a good thing. That's what it's intended to do. And a mirror on the way we do the second. Anyway, Sunbar strikes back. So what we're looking at again is our cardinal virtues. And the Emperor Strikes Back and wisdom, courage, patience, justice are the way out. I'm framing them. Let's start with wisdom, and, and it, it's pretty obvious. I, I pick a quote, and this is the second Yoda quote, second podcast named after a Yoda quote, uh, episode eight. They, uh, they are what we, we are what they grow beyond was, was from episode eight in the theology of The Last Jedi. Do or do not, and one of the most famous lines in the saga. And Yoda's name, of course, literally means knowledge. And knowledge being not just knowing facts, but experiential knowledge. The ability to know what to do and how to act and how to be in the world. And, of course, he's 900 years old and has seen everything in the greatest failure of the Clone Wars. And... Um, I love Brian Young's take on this, how he knows exactly who Luke is the moment he sets foot on Dagobah. He, he knows exactly who he is and knows to uh, act like a Gungan, act this, or, or just this goofy, squirmy, annoying joker who is just going to get on Luke's nerves and bring out Luke's impatience, impatience device because <laughs> patience is a virtue um, and knows to to press that and then at the right moment to say this isn't going to work I can't train him he's too impatient he's too on to the future looking towards the future and needs to learn to focus on the present and and yet he he's, has the wisdom wherewithal to train him anyways to to carry him well to be carried on his back uh, to send him into the cave and say you, you only uh, how you, what's only in there is what you take with you um, and the biggest thing is and the biggest thing with Yoda is he shows 
just how much the theological virtue of faith, uh, or, or just how much the cardinal virtue of wisdom or prudence is dependent on the theological virtue of faith. Because for Yoda, it's the force that communicates that wisdom. It's the force that gives him the ability to believe that he can lift the ship despite his size. Luke can't, be, not because it's too big or too heavy, because his imagination is uh, is just not there. So the wisdom to look beyond appearances to the heart. Right? Samuel anointing David, right? The wisdom to know that even if things seem impossible, we just need to do them. Not try, but do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, having an awareness of what the world is, what the universe is, infused with, there's the word infusion, it's a good theological word, infused with the presence of the force. That is not a superpower. And that's what's very clear with the Last Jedi with what George Lucas' original idea with Dave Filoni's picked up is yes, midi-chlorians are some are technical aspect of it, but the actual ability to use the force and work with the force takes a wisdom and a belief and an imagination that not just and it's not just that uh the X-Wing is in the bog and sinking and you need it. But that Luke is willing, going to be willing to go and he does need to go and uh, confront Vader. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, and maybe the will of the Force has a special purpose in Luke going to confront Vader. Wisdom to at least go beyond his, even his own perceptions of who of what Luke is where Luke is at that and that's a fascinating thing trains him anyway lets him go so Yoda the wisdom of Yoda um, wisdom we see very clearly in episode 8 right again I mean from the perspective of being past death to say we are what they grow beyond that uh, the way of all masters is for their students to actually see things and, and act and, and jump ahead in ways that even, even we don't think are possible or right. So what's intriguing then and, and jumping into courage and Luke again, he again, he doesn't show patience, um, but he definitely shows courage and a certain type of wisdom in that courage. Tell me some water. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only help. Oh, it's theological virtue. Wrong movie. Um, so, it's it's fascinating. I hadn't really noticed this before. Yoda doubts Luke twice in this movie. He said, in this film, he says, too, too impatient, too, trying to make the excuse of being too old. Um, 
And then when Luke sees the vision of Leia and Han and Chewie and them in danger, he's he's willing to run off and go. And and Yoda says, "No, you're not ready. You have to wait." Uh, almost a time where that's not patience, that's caution and worry. And Luke has a certain wisdom about him that says, <clears throat> "I'm going to go off anyway." And, and and it's a wisdom. It, it's wisdom because it, it's vindicated courage in that he actually is able to go off and uh, be the be the well the the bait, but be the distraction really. So Leia and Lando at least and Chewie can go free. That courage to even step out of what his master's expectations are of him. And, sorry, sorry about that. I'm going to confront Vader with the worry that Vader would actually is going to turn him, or at least trap him in carbonite. Carbonite, and of course Vader underestimates him too. That's another thing I noticed. And well, we, we we've all known that all too easy. No, he jumps up into he's in he's in the the, the freezing chamber, but no, he jumps up. Impressive, most impressive. And I think in that moment, Vader changes his plan. He realizes, like, I mean, the thing with Palpatine, he um, says to, to Darth Sidious, I'm going to capture him and turn him. And we'll, he'll be an asset to both of us. I think in that moment, he realizes, no, he's actually powerful enough and wise enough in the situation to know how to escape it what if I turn him and what if I can rush this plan up because Vader's plan all along is to turn Luke and together they take on Palpatine and, and Vader will become the new Emperor right? that, that, that's Vader's plan all along um, at least uh, Vader's plan ever since he he realizes who Luke is who this guy kid who blew up the Death Star is and he thinks he has an in. So Vader tries to turn Luke. Luke has the courage and the wisdom to say no. And to, even when he's hanging on this, this, this outcropping thing. And uh, just the, the, the basin of the, the city is just all below. The wisdom to, and the courage to jump off. I'm saying Luke has to, to jump off and... and escape and I get my point here is in episodes in in New New Hope Luke's courage Luke is courageous he's a bit foolhardy a bit foolish in his courage in in Empire Strikes Back after training with Yoda for a bit he's wiser in his courage to step out Another example of courage is Lando. And, 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 and of wise courage there. Being very prudent. Yeah, it's not courageous that he makes the deal in the first place with, with Vader and, and Boba Fett to capture them, capture his friends. But he, he notices himself starting to... Uh, 
be less comfortable with this situation. The deal is getting worse all the time. And this brings me back to his, his entry in uh, from a certain point of view where he sees Han return uh, to help the Rebellion destroy the Death Star. And that triggers a question in him. There's a different angle. Seems from a different angle. And that's something that this comes to fruition finally when it's not just him saving his own skin because he could get into a lot of trouble. He is going to lose his his business and his way of life for the last few years by by trying to escape and you know, trying to escape under the empire empire's nose and rescue and taking Leia and Chewie and, and 3PO um, and and R2 and then ultimately Luke but it takes courage to just under the under the fire courage under fire to decide to do the right thing wisdom is knowing what the right thing is courage is doing it not just trying but doing it and Lando shows that courage okay Patience. My mind, my first mind there is going to Vader. Like I said, he, yeah, well, he loses his patience, of course. Yeah, he, he starts strangling officers. <laughs> um, I've always been struck by the fact that he doesn't strangle Piet, and I wonder two things there. It's that. This is, and it's after his confrontation with Luke, after the Falcon finally needed R2 there, thanks buddy, to, to actually go to hyperdrive. It's the only time they go to hyperdrive is when R2 is there and he, he can intervene in this movie. Um, you think he would strangle Piet right there. And he doesn't. And I think it's partly, again, because he uh, he's shaken... And affected by his interaction with Luke. It's the first time in his life seeing him face to face. Uh, not counting on the Death Star. But that doesn't really count. First time really interacting with him. Um, and he's starting to be shaken by that. Um, second thing about is that Piet is actually smart. He actually knows that just Vader... Vader's demands are going to seem wild and unreasonable. Just do your job. Stay out of, stay out of trouble. Um, you know, command the command the, the Star Destroyer. And and so, Piet is the only one who actually knows how to be. Uh, you know, he has the wisdom to know how to you know, be Vader's support. The other admirals think he's crazy or. What's the you know the, the the ancient religion right, um, which is interesting because the empire really I mean suppressed belief in the force. It, it is a atheist phrase. The empire is a coldly atheist. Right, there's a part of, a type of warm atheism. People atheists can be warm. They can have values of love and courage and justice and hope. 
this is a cold atheism, a very technological, technocratic. And yet, they, they're promoting these officers to be with this, this space wizard uh, from a bygone era who senses that where the rebels are just by, through the force. And so Piet's the only one who knows, okay, I don't know about this, but I'm just going to go along with it. Better to go along with it and do my job. So Vader is able to show patience with him uh, for those reasons. And again, Vader showing patience before. Patience not to blurt out uh, to anybody, this is my plan. Even to withhold in his thoughts from Palpatine what the plan. And, and to some extent, I mean, he's the Sith apprentice, right? He's supposed to be planning and scheming and Palpatine understands that as long as he doesn't get caught, right? Um, but the patience to then know when to tell Luke, when to, again, change the plan or, or, or speed up the plan and understand, okay, now is the time to at least blurt something out and say, what if I can pull on his family tugs, heartstrings, like Ray was looking for belonging in a galaxy. Join me. Together we can rule as father and son. So Vader showing that patience. Um, Yoda shows some patience too, right? I mean, it can't be easy with Luke encountering Luke's impatience. Having to show patience there. And if, if any other thoughts come to me, I'll, I'll share them. But we want to justice. And I haven't mentioned Leia yet. Leia, the Han and Leia dynamic is odd in this film. Because it hasn't really aged too well. Um, if we were doing this film now, either Han would have be more sensitive and backing off or Leia would have been more upfront in your face we see her more that more than in uh, A New Hope I mean in part because she's now three years into well she's more than three years into leading the rebellion but she's she's more in the rebellion she's no longer I mean the senate's absolved, dissolved so she no longer has to worry about senatorial courtesy and can and the, the, that crisp British accent that she has, she has to put on she can be more upfront in your face especially interestingly the way Lando treats Han right we see very clearly that Leia feels an injustice has been done to this man that turns out she, she loves right <laughs> um and you know the way, and, and I'll get to that in a bit in a second. But we see her in, in a way that we hadn't seen in New, in New Hope. She's spent uh, all this time actively fighting against the Empire, leading the rebellion, at least leading in part. And so that I do think she does give Han. Uh, the pushback he needs and 
what I noticed fascinating there, and this is, I think maybe it's an example of how justice is required for love, fairness is required for love. That pushback, um, in some personalities, I was just learning this last night, that in some for some personalities, that pushback is actually a more authentic self or perceived as a more authentic self and therefore is actually something that builds trust. So if Han is gruff and what you see is what you get, um, has is less likely to believe that Leia's refined senatorial courtesy is her true self and it is actually authentic and instead if Han, Han does something that she thinks is unjust and, and wrong, the fact that she pushes back and says so is something that opens up. Uh, it shows her more fully, more truly. What I noticed really is, I mean, there's the thing is Han is a scoundrel with a heart of gold and Leia continually works on him to bring that out until he's faced with the situation that he is genuinely afraid. Rightly so. I mean, torture, imprisonment, being frozen in carbonite, that, that's genuinely scary because it does threat to your safety. <laughs> and he's able to lean on Leia and Leia is able to show him that support that he ends up showing her later in Return of the Jedi. Because he's able to trust her with vulnerabilities, because he's she's able to stand up and, and stand for justice in in the interpersonal and the social political, more brazenly, more clearly, more directly. So, so uh, learned that by observing some marriage counseling. So, <laughs> uh, thanks to my boss, the couple who <laughs> I you know, learned that from. So that's on my mind. So it's, and it's one way that, yeah, again, justice, justice is necessary for love primarily in the, the amount of that fairness is necessary for trust. And so Leia demanding fairness, Han giving in and saying, okay, no, I, I need to treat her more fairly. <laughs> the still, I love you, I know thing. Well, there's some justice in, in Return of the Jedi. She says it right back to him and becomes one of the classic lines. Again, I admit that, you know, and there are think pieces about how there is still a bit of an unjust power dynamic between the two and it just hasn't aged well. But um, we can already see, I mean, Leia will never, will not let herself be a victim. And that's, that's her testament to justice and fairness and rightness in the galaxy. So those are my thoughts on cardinal virtues in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Of course, check out the trailer, check out Queen's Shadow, um, and uh, let me know what you think on 
NUG485 on Twitter. Give me a follow on Instagram at MNUG1138. This has been episode 46 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you. Always.